This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davy Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. This is episode 86. In this episode, I will tell the story of Jackie Meckler from South Africa, who was perhaps the greatest ultra runner during the late 1950s and early 1960s, and a five-time winner of Comrades. His life story is a great inspiration. I would like to thank many of you who have signed up to be a Patreon for Ultra Running History. Here's a shout-out to some of our new monthly Patreons. Podcaster Scott Coomer from Illinois, Maurice from the Netherlands, and ultra-running legend Brian Purcell from California. Please consider also becoming a Patreon member of Ultra Running History by signing up to contribute a few dollars each month. Please go to ultrarunninghistory.com slash member to become my partner. That's ultrarunninghistory.com slash member to become a Patreon member. Will do. Now to the story. This episode is largely based on Jackie Meckler's autobiography, Running Alone, the autobiography of long-distance runner Jackie Meckler, available on Amazon. Jackie Meckler was born March 4, 1932, in Johannesburg, South Africa. His parents emigrated to South Africa from Eastern Europe in the 1920s, with little more than the clothing on their backs. The young couple struggled to survive financially. Children were born, first Hannah and then Jackie. Sadly, Jackie's mother developed Parkinson disease that crippled her and she would spend many days in bed. His father worked long hours selling fruit from the back of a horse-drawn cart trying to support the small family. Jackie was not very strong as a child. He recalled, Physically, I was always small and underweight for my age. I remember regular visits to the local hospital where I was put on innumerable courses of pink pills and tonics. His obsessive personality started to show through when as a child he would spend hours kicking a soccer ball against a wall, humming a tune about soccer boots. When redheaded Jackie was nine years old, his mother became so ill that she needed to be sent to a nursing home. His father just couldn't deal with raising children alone, so he decided to send Jackie and Hannah to live at the Arcadia Orphanage. Jackie came home from school one day to find a large black sedan parked in front of their house waiting to take them to the orphanage. The two children cried and argued with their father, who bribed them with a half crown each if they agreed to go. They had no choice and moved into the orphanage. A couple weeks later, their father visited with the news that their mother had died. The orphanage was the home for about 300 children who lived in large dormitories, each with a locker for their personal belongings. The children were ruled with strict discipline. Punishment involved missing meals or being sent to the superintendent's office for a caning. The place had sporting facilities, and Meckler grew up competing with boys in various sports, mainly cricket and soccer, but lived in an environment where the adult caretakers lacked compassion. He learned early on to become self-sufficient. I became hardened, both physically and emotionally. I learned that I would have to work for things that I wanted, and that nothing was going to just fall into my lap. 
Growing older into his teens, Meckler attended Parktown's Boys High School, which was really his first experience mixing with boys from outside his orphanage environment. He took part in cricket, rugby, and boxing, but as a smaller boy was always on less skilled teams. I realized then that whatever I wanted in life was not just going to fall into my lap. I wanted to make myself stronger. I decided to, when I was 13, to go London. And I went and I had my run half mile, and straight away I started thinking, went in my mind that, that I was winning races. That what set me off on then becoming a competitive runner. Meckler usually ran during the early mornings before the other boys woke up at the orphanage dormitory. These runs gave me an opportunity to escape the constraints of the orphanage. Being out on my own, free and able to enjoy the early morning peace and tranquility was of huge value to me. He would sneak out of the orphanage on Sundays to watch cross-country meets. There, he would listen to runners chatting at events and collected autographs as a way to meet the runners. At the age of 16, Meckler applied to join the running club Germiston Callies Harriers. The club facilities were far from the orphanage, requiring Meckler to take a bus to train there. He soon ran his first seven-mile cross-country race in Germiston, finishing 24th out of 38 runners. Meckler's running activities remained a secret from orphanage authorities. He would not dare ask permission to attend races and had friends cover for him during his unauthorized absences. They would swipe food for him during missed meals. Near the end of 1948, after he also took extra bread for a friend who missed dinner, a matron witnessed it and hit him hard on the back of the head. He reacted instinctively by grabbing her hand. She screamed, and he was expelled from the orphanage. He went to live with his father in a boarding house. Leaving the orphanage disrupted Meckler's high school education. Needing a trade, he became an apprentice in the printing industry, but continued to run in three-mile track races over weekends or after work. During 1950, Meckler's running ability continued to improve as he traveled to many towns competing in cross-country races. He ran a portion of the famed Comrades Marathon course, 54 miles, and imagined himself running and winning Comrades one day. The Comrades has a wonderful history and heritage. It is South Africa's most famous and most loved sporting event. Late that year, he entered his first marathon in Johannesburg. After 18 miles, he cramped up, started walking spells, and finished in 3 hours, 12 minutes. I was disappointed with my run and sat dejectedly in the changing room afterwards, pondering what had happened. I believed that I could easily improve my marathon time by 10 minutes. In 1952, Meckler increased his training to 130-mile weeks. He ran alone early in the mornings before work. Once, he even got up at 2.30 a.m. to run 36 miles for five hours before work. I was quite content and even preferred running long distances on my own. Frankly, I knew no one who would have been able or prepared to accompany me. The quietness and solitude I experienced in the dark on those early mornings and the wonderful clarity of the fresh, cool air was just so inspiring. The large city of Johannesburg was his running world in the dark. 
On these early morning runs, I kept to well-lit streets that were totally deserted, apart from an occasional late-night reveler, a few milk delivery vans, and the municipal cleansing department hosing down the streets. The few people who were around seemed to take little notice of the solitary idiot pounding the streets. One day I was three minutes late, stormed across the taxi floor and blasted me for being late and said to me, what's more important, your money or your work? And I gave the wrong answer. <laughs> so I was, I was suspended for two weeks. It didn't stop me running. I used to make sure that I got to work earlier and when I had spare time, I used to run up and down the mine dump. Meckler's first ultra came at the 1952 Peter Corky Marathon, about 38 miles. Meckler came in third. He was ecstatic, feeling that it was his best race up to that time. The newspaper gave him recognition. The other highlight of the race was the great running of Jackie Meckler. The flame-haired Cowley's star only started earnest long-distance work this season, and with experience should develop. Meckler set his sights on running the famed Comrades Marathon, 54 miles, for the first time, with dreams of pulling off a surprise win. Unfortunately, just a week before the 1952 race, he injured a knee. A doctor was of no help, suggesting that to bring down the pain, he should first run 20 miles on his feet and the next 20 miles on his hands. <laughs> Meckler ran Comrades anyway. Race day morning arrived on July 14, 1952. I got up at 5 a.m. to go through the all-important pre-race ritual. Wash, shave, grease around the armpits and inner thighs, and putting sticking plaster onto the nipples. I'm, I'm sorry, what? Meckler was only 20 years old, 5 foot 6, and weighed just 118 pounds. It was cool dark in the hushed silence in those last few seconds of patient expectation just before the six o'clock chimes of the city hall and the crack of the mayor's pistol. He started out running at an easy 7.30 minute mile pace. At the halfway point, he was in seventh place, 16 minutes behind the leaders. His handler did not show up at planned points, and Meckler foolishly declined drinks from spectators, thinking that runners should go as long as they could without drinking. He didn't have a good drink until about 30 miles and became badly dehydrated. He then drank too much, too fast, which reduced him to a walk at times. His race unraveled. I recovered and ran all the way to the finish, even increasing my pace over the last two miles. I experienced a strange, sad feeling that the race was over, which reflected the overall disappointment of my run. He finished in seventh place, winning the trophy for the first novice to finish. After 7,000 miles of training and 116 races, wins started to come as he continued to run in nearly every race that came along, both long and short. In 1953, Meckler, aged 21, wanted to make the ultra-running pilgrimage to England to run the most prestigious ultra at the time, London to Brighton, 52 miles. To prepare, he trained with legendary Wally Hayward, who poured his ultra-running experience onto Meckler. <laughs> They took a small ship to England, and Meckler ran about 10 to 20 miles daily on the deck of the ship, eight laps to a mile. 
Running aboard the ship was a most unusual experience. As the vessel pitched and rolled, I seemed to be running either uphill or downhill. Adding to this strange sensation of movement under my feet was the eerie atmosphere of the dimly lit deck and the sea of darkness that stretched out into the distance. In England, they stayed with ultra-running great Arthur Newton. Meckler was thrilled to meet the legend for the first time. The door opened, and here, after our 6,000-mile journey, stood Arthur Newton, the most famous long-distance runner the world had ever known. I just stood, utterly overawed and totally speechless. Training quickly continued, with Newton following along on his bicycle. After several weeks, the race day for London to Brighton arrived on September 26, 1953. Hayward was the favorite. Meckler recalled his pre-race jitters. This was my most important race to date, and my first ultra-marathon that included runners from overseas. At 7 a.m., 52 starters raced off across Westminster Bridge in thick fog on their way to Brighton, 52 miles away. Hayward dashed off with the leaders, and Meckler settled into about 20th place. At the halfway point, he realized that he was too far back and needed to run more seriously. He put on an impressive charge and finished in fourth with five hours and 48 minutes, four minutes better than the existing course record. Hayward crushed the record, winning in five hours and 29 minutes. The next running event in England for Meckler was to participate in a 100-mile world record attempt with Hayward on the Bath Road from Box to London. This would be Meckler's first attempt to run the 100-mile distance. Plans were put into place with four runners participating. The press thought the event was crazy and called it 100 miles of murder. That's crazy. Meckler lacked confidence that he would do well, especially with leg pain from excessive training weeks of 147 and 171 miles leading up to the 100-mile run. I had never run such a great distance before. The thought of running 40 miles further than I'd ever run was something that had to be considered right from the very start. The historic 100-mile run began at 3 a.m. on October 24, 1953 at the Bear Inn in Box. From the start, Hayward pushed ahead. Meckler decided to stick to his own even pace and gradually dropped further and further behind. After going through 50 miles in 6 hours and 25 minutes, he moved into second place. At 74 miles, his crew car, which had not been crewing him very well, started providing him better support. I enjoyed an ice cream and some homemade egg custard. I also brushed my teeth, had a gentle cleanup, and felt much refreshed. Meckler's main goal was not to beat Hayward, but to finish better than the existing 100-mile world record. As he approached London, the traffic became heavy and endangered his finished goal hopes. But Meckler ran hard, producing negative split times. Finally, to my joy, Hyde Park appeared. There was still a large crowd waiting at the finish, and several young athletes in tracksuits came to run the last half mile with me. I thought it would surprise them by putting in a fast finish, leaving them gasping behind. He finished his very first 100-mile attempt in 13 hours and 8 minutes, beating the old world record by 12 minutes. Hayward crushed the world record with a finish time of 12 hours, 20 minutes. Meckler shortly started his trip back to South Africa. 
I felt that the 1953 trip to Britain had done me the world of good in every way. I was a much stronger runner with far more confidence as a runner and as a person. In the fall of 1954, Meckler was encouraged to go after the 40-mile and 50-mile world track records. He decided to make the attempt on his home track of Delville Stadium in Germiston, South Africa at an altitude of 6,000 feet. The track surface wasn't especially fast, a grass surface, and the inside lane was roughed up by rugby player boots. In the pre-dawn hours, cars were positioned with their headlights directed on the track for the start. The crack of the starter's pistol echoed through the suburbs of the sleeping city, and the challenge was on. Soon the sun peeped over the horizon and the car headlights were no longer necessary. Meckler, age 22, started off strong and knew that he needed to complete each lap in less than 99 seconds in order to break the 50-mile world record. He cruised through the marathon mark in 2 hours 47 minutes, but started to tire at 35 miles. I started taking more frequent drinks of lemon squash, glucose, and salt together with regular sponges, as by now the sun was beating down. 40 miles came and he beat the record by a minute, with a new world record of 4 hours 18 minutes. Having tucked away this record, I was tired. It seemed to have taken all my effort to clinch it and now I had to face another 40 laps of continued grind around the parched track. He tried to envision that what he had left was just a simple 10-mile run. The crowd became enthusiastic. His handler kept screaming at him. In the end, he finished with a new 50-mile track world record of 5 hours 24 minutes, beating the previous mark by more than 5 minutes. Unknown to him at the time, he also lowered the world 50k track mark by about 2 minutes to 3 hours and 25 minutes. The news press wasn't very complimentary, not giving much value to running at ultra distances. They thought the marathon distance had true value and that this was just a publicity stunt. Meckler, the youngest ultra runner ever to set a world best, ignored it all. On January 15, 1955, Meckler added the 30-mile world record to his running resume, becoming the first person to run that distance in less than three hours, with a time of two hours and 57 minutes. In 1958, at the age of 26, Meckler had been running for 13 years. He had already covered 35,000 miles in training and racing, but he still had not won the jewel of running in South Africa, the Comrades Marathon. After an absence of five years, he towed the Comrades start line on May 31, 1958 with 60 runners. Meckler was concerned because he had not trained very hard for the race. At mile 21, he went into the lead and by the halfway point was eight minutes ahead of the next runner, who soon dropped out. Meckler wasn't being given much information other than that he had a big lead, but he wasn't sure how big the lead was. The day became warm and the last 20 miles were rough, but he was able to maintain his pace. He went on to win in 6 hours and 26 minutes, 45 minutes ahead of the next runner. I have won my first comrades, a dream come true. This was a magic moment for me. Two years later, in 1960, Meckler broke Hayward's up comrades record 
becoming the first runner to break six hours, winning with five hours and 56 minutes. Some compared it to breaking the four minute mile barrier. When asked how long he had been training for the race, he replied, 15 years. Meckler's Germiston Cowley's team decided to send a team to run the 1960 London to Brighton. Meckler headed up the team. This time Meckler took a flight and arrived 10 days before the race. His chronic knee pain resurfaced in the cool London weather in the days leading up to the race. His knee improved a bit and he lined up at the start with 50 other runners. The early morning mist should have made for pleasant running, but I was too busy nursing my knee over the first few miles, literally dragging it along as if it didn't belong to me. In spite of this handicap, I was most surprised to find myself right up with the leaders. I continued to limp along as fast as I could until at 8 miles I actually found myself in the lead. Hey, I thought you were supposed to have a sore knee. The pain decreased. He reached the marathon mark in 2 hours 36 minutes, but by mile 38, he was two and a half minutes behind the record pace. This was a great disappointment, and I realized very clearly that unless I did something desperate, I would have no chance in beating the record. He pushed harder, not satisfied just to win. Soon the Brighton Aquarium came into view on the shoreline. He sprinted as hard as he could and won in 5 hours and 25 minutes, breaking the course record by 54 seconds. I was mighty relieved to have made it. It was almost too much to comprehend, for just 5 hours earlier, I was barely able to run. Here, I was the winner and new record holder. After winning London to Brighton, just 3 weeks later, he went to try to break the 100-mile world record on the Bath Road. The current record holder, Ron Hopcroft, paced him for the first 10 miles. I appreciated this sporting, kind, and encouraging gesture from the record holder. A cold wind blew on his exposed legs and it seemed impossible for him to warm up. At 17 miles he was just two minutes behind record pace. I knew I was not running as freely or as easily as I had hoped. He hit the marathon mark in three hours and four minutes, still two minutes behind the record pace. As the darkness of night gave way to the cold, the first hint of trouble occurred in a pain behind my right knee. I continued to run into a strong and icy headwind, and my running lacked ease and confidence. He reached 50 miles in 6 hours and 8 minutes with a painful knee and a swollen Achilles tendon. At that point, he quit in great disappointment. The weather was terribly cold. It was a dark, grey, miserable day. And I got to halfway, and with still another 50 miles to go, there was just no hope of And so I was very disappointed, and so with the help of the English, they had a special program printed, and they were all out uh, encouraging me along the way. Meckler would never race 100 miles again. His Achilles injury was serious and in those days was regarded as untreatable and career-ending. But in 1961, a successful surgery was performed and in 1962 he was completely healed and was winning races again. Meckler developed an incredible ability to push his body to extremes of endurance from an early age, becoming arguably the world's best ultra-distance runner of his era. 
1958, Jackie Meckler, fresh from his second place in the standard marathon at the Empire Games in Vancouver, took his first Comrades win. He did it comfortably in 6.26. The 60s, that wonderful time of rock and roll, the Beatles, universal love, flower power and the moon landings were dominated Comrades-wise by Meckler. He set back-to-back -back records, becoming the first man to break six hours on the uprun in 1960 and three years later, breaking the course record going down in 5 hours 51. Serious racing retirement drew near. Looking at my running career, I realized that something very basic in my personality prevented me from slowly slipping into the role of an also-ran and fading away into successive defeats. Either I stayed pretty near the top, or I would not compete at all. Entering races as training runs was foreign to me. I took every contest seriously, never entering a race without planning for and focusing on winning the race or breaking the record. At the age of 33, he began to scale back his weekly training miles, relaxed, and played more golf. In 1968, at the age of 36, despite his running sabbatical, he went out for a 38-mile morning run and was pleased with his performance. He soon decided to run Comrades again, if he could get into good enough shape. In the field was John Tarrant of Great Britain, the famed ghost runner who had been stripped of his amateur status and could only run Comrades unofficially. In the 1968 Comrades, during the second half of the race, Meckler raged a ferocious duel with Tarrant. However, he had heard that Tarrant had dropped out of races before once caught near the late stages. With this in mind, Meckler pushed hard one final time to pass Tarrant and drop him. It worked. He never saw him again. Another runner crept up on Meckler, but he was able to hold him off and won comrades for the fifth time in six hours and one minute on the up course. Meckler was thrilled with his win. What counted most was that I had won a coveted fifth victory, finally joining the exclusive ranks of my friends Newton and Hayward, as well as Hardy Ballington. It was a tremendous thrill and relief finally to have accomplished this feat. In 1969, after a disappointing third-place finish at Comrades, Meckler went into racing retirement but maintained his close association with the race. He married in 1972, progressed in his printing career to be managing director, and took up farming as a hobby for the weekends. In the 1980s and his 50s, Meckler started to run races again, this time for fun and for association with others. He ran in the 60th Comrades with about 10,000 runners in the field and finished in 8 hours and 23 minutes. Being one of the also-rans in Comrades was a great leveling experience for me. At last, I could share with others the experience of running in the pack. In 2017, the Mecklers retired, sold their farm, and moved to Cape Town, where they could be close to their daughters and grandchildren. In his late 80s, Meckler thought back about his early life in the orphanage. What would have I done if I hadn't been sent to an orphanage? The influence of orphanage life helped introduce me to running and gave me reason to express a determination that masked my embarrassment at being a product of an orphanage. The important thing in life is not the triumph, but the struggle. The essential thing is not to have conquered, but to have fought well. 
Jackie Meckler died peacefully in his sleep at his home in Cape Town, South Africa on July 1, 2019, at the age of 87, just a month after he had visited with runners at Comrades and a few months after he published his autobiography. Nine-time Comrades winner Bruce Fordyce said, Jackie Meckler was one of the true legends of the race, but more importantly in later years, he was an elder statesman of the race, a role he filled with dignity, humility, and grace. He was an inspiration to all of us, and I am proud to have called him a close friend. Goodbye, Jackie Meckler. Okay, I'm going to read out the years that Mr. Meckler won the Comrades. The first was 1958, followed by 1960, 1963, 1964, and 1968. Congratulations, Mr. Mickler. With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances. <laughs>